Hey there, We Can't Wrestle Podcast listeners. If you haven't noticed, we have switched our server to Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm to get started. Highly recommended by me and everybody else here at the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Nate Maxson here with you, along with my brother Aaron. Just us OGs this week the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Right. Kyle said, Kyle said, fuck them. Archie's got to work. <laughs> it's just us doing the We Can't Wrestle podcast this week, yeah. and that's fine. Welcome. It is episode 125 of the We Can't wow. Wrestle podcast. That's a lot of episodes. And we're finally back on our normal schedule now that I'm done with my vanity project of the Hall of Fame for the year. And that will be coming down the pike again next year around the same time. So stay tuned for that. Aaron, any final thoughts on the Hall of Fame? Well, only, what, three of my people got in. I'd have to go to my notes, but I think you're about right, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to push for the ones that didn't get in that I voted for last time. And also, just listen and wait with bated breath to get to the Hall of Shame, which is my shining <laughs> that will be light. coming at us once again in July, as it always does. The Hall of Shame. And That's where uh, I shine right there in the Hall of Shame. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna keep pushing two three people especially for the Hall of Fame for me, Terry Funk, Jerry Lawler, and Ricky Dozan. Those are my those are my fucking horses I've hitched my carriage to try to get into the hall of fame next year so we'll see where that goes mine are gonna can i say who mine are gonna be sure mine are gonna be Stu hart fred blassie and gorgeous george i was gonna do a fred blassie and or Stu hart impression and neither one came out i just kind of was like like factory Uh, reset (laughs) uh uh, yeah stupid there uh pencil neck geek (laughs) Trying to get into the uh, this uh, outlaw mud show hall of fame uh, here. <laughs> get your get your filthy get your filthy hands off of me. <laughs> Gorgeous stew, <laughs> classic Stewie Blassie. All right. Anyway, <laughs> this week on the show, we are going to do a couple of things. First of all, one of our listeners, uh, those of you that know how to know that I had a post up a while back and we're taking matches that you suggested in that post from the We Can't Wrestle Facebook group. Steve Salomonson suggested that we watch the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers from Halloween Havoc 1990. We are going to review that match. And I uh, I appreciate that, Steve Salamander. <laughs> this match is great. And also... We are going to talk about what we think are some of the worst jumps in wrestling. Not talking about jump like 
Abdullah the Butcher jumped that one time, and it was awkward. Talking about jumping from promotion to promotion, some jumps from promotion to promotion that we think were uh, were not exactly the best. Um, so we'll start with the match of the week. It's from October 27, 1990, Halloween Havoc, WCW's pay-per-view. Actually, one of my favorite WCW pay-per-views ever. I really enjoy this whole show, to be honest with you. But this match is for the United States Tag Team Championships. It is the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers. Yes. And honestly, like, the U.S. Tag Team titles, once you got out of, like, being, like, you know, JCP or whatever, kind of like props. Mm. But they still... um created or whatever you want to say they were still like the basis for like a lot of fantastic fucking matches yeah there were times that the u.s tag team titles were like the intercontinental title per se for tag team wrestling in wcw and there were other times where the u.s tag team titles were put on teams that uh how shall we say didn't quite live up to expectation. <laughs> like at one point, like Greg Valentine and Terry Taylor were the United States yeah. team champions. And not that either one of those guys are were a poor talent, but what what's with that team? It was just an yeah, you know just thrown together. together. I think that was during the Watts era of uh, WCW. Um, but this match again, October twenty seventh, nineteen ninety, Halloween Havoc. Gary Michael Capetta doing the ring introductions, and we've got Jim Ross and Paul E. Dangerously on commentary, a team I Who always enjoy. fucking fantastic. Yes. And that's I, like the first note on my note. The first note on my notes. The first <laughs> thing I wrote down on my note, I love Mies and Paul E. and JR together. They're great. And, and, and I know people talk about, like, oh, JR and Waller, which they are fantastic. But, like, and Paul E and Jim Ross together is great because they're like yin and yang. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, fat boy Southern guy and fat boy New York guy. <laughs> and, and 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 Jim did a great job just being mad at Paul E. Yes. And Paul E does a great job of antagonizing him on. Jim Ross. Like we've talked about before on the show, I think there were some times where you could tell that Jerry Lawler knew that JR was in a curmudgeonly mood or something and would poke the stick, poke the bear with the stick, you know, like listen to, uh, listen to the commentary for the match between Booker T and Triple H at WrestleMania 19. Like Jerry Lawler is just, just, just jamming it into JR the whole time. And JR is getting like legit pissed at, 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 uh, at Jerry, Paulie does that in every match <laughs> and every night with Jr. Just constantly, just just, just needling them. Yes, um, but they are great to listen to together. Uh, and I also wrote down here that um, I know it's they're they're younger in this match, but this may have been the best shape I ever saw the Nasties in. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say that too. That fucking knobs was kind of a slug like in like 94 on yeah like knobs 90 through 93 kept up yeah like with everybody that he was with 
and probably the only like a because Jerry Sags. I'm not I, I, not to not to well. I mean, I I went to say not to knock knobs, but saying that about knobs, Jerry Sags was always good. Like Jerry Sags, I think is super underrated. Yeah, like, like that dude could go, but there wasn't a better team until the Nasty Boys met up with like the Heart Foundation that worked better with them than the Steiner. And to what you were saying about uh, Sags and Knobs, um, Jerry Sags, this week on the uh, the um, Reliving the Extreme podcast, we just watched the debut of Public Enemy in ECW. And the Nasty Boys, in a way, in that team, and I know they came before Public Enemy, but I'm getting to a point, I swear. Sags is almost the Ted Petty of that team. Yeah. And that he, was, he was the one that was wrestling first. He was more... He was the better worker of the team. You know, he was the one that was generally on his A game. Whereas Knobs yeah. was kind of <laughs> he, he's there. He was, yeah, he's there. And not that he was not that he was always bad, but sometimes he was bad and sometimes he was good, you know. And and when I say like the nasty boys best opponents were the Steiner Brothers and the Hart Foundation, like the Nasty Boys had fantastic matches when they worked with like Cactus and whoever's Cactus, whoever Cactus's partner was going to be at the time. But it was different match. It was it was different types of matches, you know. Yeah. Like like Cactus and Max Payne and Cactus and <clears throat> and Kevin Sullivan versus the Nasty Boys was like hardcore shit, you know. But this match wasn't necessarily like a hardcore match, and this like. Match- this match was a Steiner Brothers match, is what it was. Yeah. And um, it starts out like gangbusters. Like, they just... Like, <laughs> they just from, right off the bat. <laughs> from bell to bell, man, there is no... There, 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 there's, some, there's some rest holds in this thing, but even the rest holds are just... Mm-hmm. At one point, there's a belly to belly off the ropes that sends, I think it's Brian Knobs, halfway across the ring. Yeah. Um, Right at the beginning, when they start brawling outside, fucking sags, and and I wrote this down, and then a couple notes later, I wrote something else about it. Like when they're outside the ring, like when the thing starts, and sags, sags clocks the fuck out of Scott with that chair right at the beginning of it, mm-hmm. cracks the fuck out of him. And I was like, eh, something's gonna come out of that because he hit that motherfucker. <laughs> there's, some receipt, there's a receipt in there somewhere. yeah there's a receipt coming it, it shows up a little bit later on there's a uh oh, oh i have here as i'm watching the match and this match was and it's just a lot of a lot of of older matches will show this but definitely in this match it sticks out the difference between modern commentary and commentary back in the day, especially with Jim Ross. Jim Ross during this match, if you, you you could almost not watch the match or watch the match with your eyes closed, and you would know what was going on, you would know what the holds were and why the holds were important. JR explains everything perfectly, like a play-by-play man should in this match. He does a fantastic job, as usual, but it just stuck out to me. Probably because before this, I had just watched like four hours of modern product <laughs> to get ready for that's not wrestling. And it just like 
the stark difference in the way a wrestling match is called, especially by a pro like JR back then. You know, now he's just collecting a check, let's be honest. And, then, and see, I don't begrudge him that. You know, fuck it. If if I if I was if I was his age and they were like, Hey, you can work one day a week, and we're gonna pay you this much money, take it. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, yeah, and, I mean, and 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 Paulie did a good job in it too, that I didn't obviously watch all the stuff leading up to it, but they're telling you what happened leading into the match. Like as it's going on and the nasty boys are like working uh, Scotty's lower back. Like they're like, Oh, leading up to this, um, the nasty boys put the Steiner brothers through it. They, they put Scotty through a table and they did this to him and they did that to him. And, and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this is why they, the, this is why these four men are beating the ever loving shit out of each other right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and JR's like, this is a few that's never going to die. You know, it, like these guys are never gonna stop fighting each other, mm-hmm. and it, it they, the commentary, like this match had everything. It had commentary, it had great action in the ring, and the fucking fans were into it. Yep, absolutely. I don't, I don't remember writing down what town this pay per view was in. I think it was bad, Chicago. It's Chicago. Okay. Usually I write that down. I get my get my shit together and get my facts straight, but I didn't write that down. I, I think this was in the U like that UCI pavilion, I think. Mm-hmm. The the nasties work over Scott Steiner to get to a hot tag, which is great tag team wrestling, the way that it plays out. Sags is bleeding from the chair shot. Yeah, and, and and that's that's what I was gonna say. Scotty doesn't get the receipt from the chair shot earlier. Rick, I think, honestly, was like, you know what? You guys fucked my brother up a little bit. <laughs> and 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 the reason I think it's a receipt is because it wasn't on knobs. It was on Sags. Because Sags fucking clocked Scotty mm-hmm. like, within like the first 30 seconds. And later on, when Rick hits him, fucking Sags didn't fucking blade on that shit. Fucking no. Rick. No. Clock that motherfucker, and he was like, "You know what? You're gonna hit my little brother like that. I'm gonna give it back to you." And he fucking he, clocked him. And you can tell he's bleeding hard way because he's not bleeding from a place where a wrestler normally bleeds from, where they would normally blade themselves. He's bleeding from like an odd spot in his head. You yeah. know, you can always tell a hard a hard way shot when they're just bleeding like randomly from yeah, from you know, like <laughs> yeah from. <laughs> Like, um, above their left ear or some shit. <laughs> Fucking Rick was like, fuck you. You're going to hit my brother like that? I wanna, I'm, I'm going to give it back to you. <laughs> well, they finally get the, they, the Steiners and, get the hot. And, and, oh, and, go ahead. I was just going to say this. <clears throat> when when Ricky tags in, fucking place goes crazy. Yep. Okay. And, and, and I'm going to say this. And I know a couple of people have said this before. You, you know that old story that it, it's like an urban legend or whatever that Dusty wanted Rick Steiner to be like the NWA champion. Mm-hmm. I honestly think, and I'm not saying that that story's true or untrue. I honestly think, like it wouldn't have been a long term thing, but I think. Rick Steiner honestly could have been like maybe a two or six month NWA champion and people would have bought it. 
Maybe like a pay-per-view to pay-per-view guy that beats Flair yeah. and Flair gets the belt back. Yeah, I mean, I can yeah, see like that. At one, point, at one point, both of the Steiner brothers were over like fucking Rover. You know, that, that, w, that NWA WCW crowd loved the fucking Steiner brothers. And yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could see either one of them, either one of them on that course. But even more so than Scotty, I think Rick would have been a decent, like, five or six month NWA champion. I think well, it would have yeah, worked. The, the funny thing about these, those two is during this time, um, Rick, it's like they, it's like they traded charisma for some reason. Does that make sense? Like at this yeah. time, it seemed like Rick had most of the charisma. Scott, I think was always the more dynamic wrestler until he really, really bulked up, obviously. But he was always the more dynamic wrestler of the two. But Rick seemed to have the most charisma. And then once Scott developed that big Papa Pump character and finally got to let out his true personality, then obviously his charisma kind of took over. But um, yeah, I I can definitely see that Rick Steiner deal because at this time, like you said, the fans loved him. He had a ton of charisma, good worker. Um, and, 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 And the charisma thing aside, like Rick, even like you can say they switched or whatever, but Rick was always the ass kicker. Yeah. In my, you don't like, like me, bite me. <laughs> like, even when they, like, even when Scott turned and he became like Big Papa Pump and all that shit, Rick Steiner, even though he wasn't like Jack to the gills like Scotty was, even when Scotty got Jack to the gills and shit, like, Rick always looked to me like the guy that was just going to beat your fucking ass. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like, Rick Steiner looked and still looks like a fucking badass to me. And I think he could have, I think he could have been a decent transition NWA champion. Now he'd be like, buy the house, buy the house. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a realtor now. Anyway. I, I buy a house and I was just like, okay, man, shit. <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, um, I want, I want to know if there's anything else you have, about the match before I get to the, okay, I'll just say it. I, my notes kind of, they're, they're there, but then in all caps, literally right here on my notes, folks, in all caps, I have wrote down, Oh, a God damn Frankensteiner. <laughs> yeah, he, fucked, he fucked knobs up too. Like I, the only, like, let me see that one. And then the one he gives to what Bo Beverly at Royal Rumble 93, those are probably the roughest. Nah, maybe some of the Japanese shit when they were with those guys in Japan that like to, you know, dish out what they can get. But this was one of the toughest Frankensteiners I've ever seen. These guys were giving each other potatoes and receipts all over the place in this match. Steiners go over. Nasties attack them after the match. But overall, a great match and a great suggestion from Steve. Thank you, Aaron. Anything else on this match before we go into our uh, our jumps? Um, I gave the match four out of five stars. And um, the only reason I gave it four out of five stars isn't even something that was against the match. It was the post-match. The attack afterward? Yeah, the attack afterward just kind of took me out of it just a little bit. 
Well, I think it might have been because of how devastating the finish was. Like, uh, what was it? It was Nobbs that took the Frankensteiner, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, why is he and back it, up already? <laughs> like, this dude just and, got and, and and Jerry Sags is wearing like a stupid beard, and he's got his fucking drink thing, drink carrier. It's like, so what? They and they anticipated losing. <laughs> yeah. So they had a stupid costume afterwards. It's like. And that's Jim Hurd is at his worst. Yeah, and that's, and that's what took me out of it. Jim Hurd essentially, like Jim Hurd, Jim Hurd's at times WCW was like WCW doing a horrible imitation of the worst WWE stuff. You know, yeah, and and, and I posted this in a comment um, the other day that um, until like ninety, like late 94, early 95, WCW might have had worst angles and situations on their TV than the WWF, but they had better in-ring. Yeah. Whereas the WWF had better stories and angles and reasons to care about this shit, but then in-ring... It wasn't that great. Yeah, that WW, yeah, no, a WWF show would have you know, if you have a WWF pay per view, you're gonna have maybe in the in the late eighties, early nineties, we're not talking about the mid nineties, obviously. But the late eighties, early nineties, a WWF pay per view, you're gonna have two really good matches. Other than that, you're gonna have guys that are first of all, um some of them are gassed. Secondly, they've been they they're they're They've all put on weight from when they worked in other territories. Thirdly, they're working an excruciating schedule. Yeah. There, there's, there's a reason. You know, I, I always, I always, it always kind of like, I know you weren't when you made your comparison. What you said was totally valid. But it always kind of honks me off when I hear guys like, you know, the WWF guys didn't work like they did else. Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors, you know, for, okay, first of all, I'm making more money than I've ever made. Why would I want to take the chance of getting hurt by doing crazy shit all the time, high octane shit all the time? Secondly, the schedule they were working, who's got the energy to do high octane shit all the time? Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there like, were a lot like, of factors. Like, like, like an example, like, I, I know you hate one of these guys, but in my opinion, it was a cool angle. Mm-hmm. Like, Greg the Hammer Valentine and Ronnie Garvin. Was a cool fucking feud, you know, like Ronnie Garvin and Greg Valentine are feuding, and now Ronnie Garvin loses the loser leaves match, and now he's got to be a referee, and he keeps like fucking with Jimmy Hart's people and all that, and then he comes back, you know, and, and they might not have the greatest match in the world, right? Okay, but then like this might not be a great comparison, but then like. Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, it might not be the greatest feud in the world, but then they go have a match and it's a fucking gangbuster. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the match that we're going to watch next week is suggested by listener Tom Mallison. And Tom suggested that we go watch from Clash of the Champions 14... Ricky Morton versus Terry Taylor. So that will be the match that we will watch next week 
for the show. Ricky Morton and Terry Taylor from the Clash of the Champions 14, as suggested by listener Tom Mallison. I like both those guys. Yeah, it has promise. Anything Ricky Morton's in, I'm down. I don't care. He could be Richard Morton. He could be Richard Morton the sixth. I don't care what Ricky Morton's. What, <laughs> if Ricky Morton's in the match, I'm in. Even at 65 Ter- or whatever he is. I think Terrence Taylor gets a bad rap. I do too. I just watched that whole thing from primetime with Brooklyn Brawler where he hits Monsoon with the stool. Bobby yeah. Hinn's like, it was not supposed to happen, Monsoon. Yeah, I did not mean that. If to you would have just, if you would have stayed in your seat, nobody had any. We were not trying to hurt because he knows. I was mad at him for like three weeks. <laughs> you and that pathetic Lombardi. And I love the way that Bobby's like that. That whole thing's great because Brooklyn Brawler essentially just gets cucked by Bobby Heenan because like Bobby Heenan's like, you never won a match. You can't win a match. You lost every match you've ever been in. You know why you're going to be a winner now, don't you? Because I got you, Bobby. That's right, you loser. You got me now. Like, I just, it's so funny. <laughs> like, he's putting the guy down the whole time, and he's like, yeah, Bobby. Oh, it's funny. Yeah, I think it's great that Bobby's just like, Ew. like, the minute Monsoon gets hit, he's like, Fucking smack me around. And when they come on the next week, like they don't even do their introduction. Like they come on, the music's playing, and Gorilla's just busting Bobby's nuts. Like, <laughs> and then, and then you got, got hit with that stool, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Monsoon. It wasn't supposed to happen like that. All right. So now we will move on. We are going to discuss what we think are some of the worst promotional jumps for professional wrestlers in history. So, Aaron, since the jumps, the worst jumps segment was your idea, I shall, I shall behoove to you to go first, sir. For oh, we're we talking. Are okay, yeah, here we are. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start with um, Jake Roberts. Let me preface this, okay? It's not necessarily the talent's fault for the jump on some of these. It's a lot of these, honestly. It's the the company on how they handle it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A bunch bunch of mine are like that. So the first one I'll do is Jake Roberts from the WWF jumping to WCW. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that one was one where it, it he he went under the impression that he was going to make X amount of dollars and he was going to feature in an X kind of spot. And then Bill Watts came around <laughs> and was like, yeah. no, you're not going to make those dollars and you're not going to have that spot. But they also did, like, his feud with Sting was okay. And I actually like his little oddity group of him and Cactus Jack and Barbarian. But you're right, in the long run, not a fruitful jump for him. You know, he was he was uh he was offered what a front end a front office spot in the WWF and turned it down, I believe. Or no 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 no, he didn't even turn it down. He was gonna get it and then they brought Pat Patterson back. No, he what what he what Jake claims is that 
he was gonna be phased out and given Patterson's spot and then was told well we're not gonna fill Pat's spot yeah that was it and then and then said well I'm not gonna hold you up for money I'm gonna hold you up for my release mm-hmm. and then he went to WCW because um, Jim Hurd or whoever offered him a shitload of money and then he got there and when he got there it was right in the transition of um, Jim Hurd to Bill Watts and Bill Watts didn't like Jake because of all his fucking um, extra curricular activities or whatever and said you're not worth this amount of money you fat piece of shit and cut his money and then he left but to me if Bill Watts would have been able to um, put aside his preconditioned thoughts of Jake Jake could have done so much more and been such a bigger thing for WCW than what he was. Yeah, he would have been a great asset. And not just <clears throat> not just in the ring either to utilize him in creative and, you know, I mean, say what you want about Jake personally. Uh, hell of a talent in the ring and, and psychology and promos and then also hell of a mind creatively, you know. So yeah, absolutely. Bad, bad for Jake and bad on WCW for not recognizing the talent that they had, especially in Mr. Bill Watts' case. All right, my first one that I want to say was a a bad jump uh, for this guy, and I think for most of us watching, Lex Luger going to the WWF. Yeah. I I think that Lex Luger was never better than his heel run in WCW in the early 90s. And he left, and I think that he's one of those guys that I will say was better in WCW than he was in WWF. WWF, first of all, they brought him in, and Vince decided he wanted him not to be a wrestler, but to be in his bodybuilding federation. And then after that failed, of course, the narcissist gimmick, which was kind of boring. And then the Made in the USA Lex Luger gimmick, which was just rehash, trying to rehash and recreate Hulk Hogan. And that failed. And just Luger in the WWF didn't work, you know? And and you would think that it would have, being as that was the kind of, you know, body type and everything that Vince liked. But Lex just, to me, I associate him with WCW and not the WWF. And I think that that jump was bad for him and um, probably took away, honestly, probably took away from what, maybe could have been a better legacy had he stayed in WCW and, and remained heel Lex Luger there. Yeah. And, and Luger had um, Lex Luger to WWF. Um, to me, if they would have um, taken him and not made him the narcissist, I think it would have been better. Like, when he first got there, if you watch, like, early, like, prime times and shit like that, they keep, they're keep they calling him the total package. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and they didn't settle with that boring ass, lame, narcissistic narcissist gimmick where he's talking like this and I'm the narcissist and I'm Lex Luger and 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 just let him like Lex Luger honestly was and I, and, and he's a great guy now but at the time Lex Luger the dude was just a shit like like he was a he was an easily hateable person right <laughs> They should have just let him be Lex Luger. They couldn't resist themselves, pretty much. It was bad. So what's your next one? My next one is Raven from ECW to WCW. Hmm. I liked Raven in WCW, but i like to hear why you think it was bad. I liked Raven in WCW as well, but it was bad because it wasn't the essence of what the Raven character was. Like, like WCW was almost just taking a guy away from ECW just to take a guy away from ECW. Right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, like Raven was like Scott Levy Raven was so much better in ECW than he was in WCW. And it, it could have possibly been great, but they didn't let the character develop and be what it was. They homogenized it. Yeah. They homogenized it. And I feel that it's, it's funny. I don't have it on my list. I almost put him on my list. I feel that way about hack going from, ECW to WCW. Yeah. Like they, they even, even though, yeah, granted he was still hardcore hack and all that. It just, the hardcore in WCW was very cheesy and goofy. And, you know, it was just the hardcore in WCW was just, uh, essentially just meant they used trash cans. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it, it, he became, and, and I'm sure it was much better on both, Scotty and uh, James Fullington's bodies to wrestle in WCW. But yeah, so I can see what you're saying there. They, they definitely homogenized Raven's character. And I think, like I said, I think the same with the hat character as well. Yeah. And, and they like, like say WCW would have taken Raven and did what they wanted to do it. Like, how do I say it? I just, I just think that when Paulie had the Raven character, he knew exactly what that was, mm-hmm. and it was like Scorsese writing something. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And um, WCW, I, WCW was like uh, Spielberg taking Scorsese's character. Yeah, <laughs> it, doing it's just, his own version of it. it it got it got completely watered down and it was just lame by the end of it in my opinion the next one on my list is another ecw to wcw guy and this is actually one that i would say almost i would qualify it anytime he jumped away from ecw after 1993 but i'm just going to put use this one as an example 
Shane Douglas going to WCW in 1999 from ECW. And we could even say Shane Douglas going to the WWF in 1995 from ECW. Either way, Shane, in that time, in that era, much like you were saying, kind of saying about Raven, Paulie knew the best way to utilize that talent. Whereas... Yeah. He jumps to WCW in '99, and 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 you know it, it's not like it would have benefited him either company because they both essentially went out of business on the same fucking week. But anyway, like he was in in WCW, he was he was first of all he was lumped in with that silly Revolution thing, and it was always like in in, in ECW. Shane Douglas being the bombastic Shane Douglas came off as Shane Douglas in e, in WCW. It came off as forced and scripted, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it just, and this might sound stupid. I don't know, but in ECW, Shane Douglas was a big fish in a small pond, mm-hmm. but then he got to WCW and he was just uh, Big fish in a, <laughs> a sewer pipe um, in '99. He was a big fish in a sewer pipe. <laughs> but yeah, no, I know what you're trying to say. He was, <laughs> he was a, he was a, a big fish in a in a in a whale cage in WCW. He just didn't, yeah, he didn't fit in. I don't think, especially not with the franchise character. You know, the early 90s, before he went to WCW, and he was just a smiley baby face, he definitely worked in WCW. Yeah. Yeah, the franchise character, to me, and it's not a knock on Shane, it's just, again, it's just that character worked in ECW, and it didn't work elsewhere. Just plain and simple. And then we won't even go into the Dean Douglas deal. You know, that yeah. was that was rough. <laughs> and that was that was a matter of stupid, boring gimmick given to him. Plus the politics with the click and all that. That just didn't work out for him either. So anytime Shane jumps over to another promotion from ECW after he's made his ECW debut, just didn't work. Yeah. What you got next? The next one I have, and um, this is probably on your list, and um, it's... Miss, it's a mismanaged and highly political and just clusterfuck of a situation. It's, and it's honestly one of the only ones I know of a guy that didn't want to do it at all. It's Bret Hart from WWF to WCW. Absolutely on my list. Actually, I rank that one numero uno of all time. You have literally at that point the maybe not the biggest star in the business, but the you hottest have the name guy, in the business. Yes, the hottest name in the business coming to your promotion, and you cut his legs out from under him before he even gets there. Before he even gets there. Um. So and anybody that and anybody that wants to say Hulk Hogan had anything to do with it is a fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I like mean, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, Hogan, this guy 
at this time coming in, if pushed properly and treated properly, would have pushed Hogan to like number four. He would have because he had, he had, and we've talked about it. I mean, we've talked about it on the show a million times. Heel Bret Hart is one of the greatest heels of all time. Swarmy, better than you. And he was convincing at it because he really did believe most of what he was saying. And you combine that with the astronomical trajectory he had coming out of the screw job. The fact that he had been a WWF guy for 14 years and he's coming into this rival promotion. He was more of a WWF guy than Hogan was a WWF guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and yeah, the, the heat that he had coming in and the story and the, the, the ability, he would have been able to be a better heel than Hogan. He would have went in the ring and had 27 times better matches than Hogan. He would have blown Hogan out of the water. And to what you were saying, Hogan knew that shit. Hogan, if there's anything you can ever say about Hulk Hogan is that dude's not fucking stupid. Yeah, and and um, he's like Brett could have came in there and said, you know what, Hogan... Uh, how do I want to say it? Like, he could have came in there and said, what you left me was garbage. And I made it better. Because mm-hmm. I went in the ring and did everything you couldn't do. Plus, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You left me, you thought you left me with a dying company. And you thought you'd come here and put us out of business. And at the end of the day, we were still there. And part of part, part of that was because of me. And the only yeah, reason and, I'm and here. We were, and we beat you. We yeah. beat you because of me. And now I'm here to save this shit now because what <laughs> you've done has sunk it again. Right. And you could have went, you could have used Brett as a face for, say you used Brett as a face for, okay, so he came in at Starcade 97, and they used him as a referee in a match between Zabisco and Bischoff, but whatever, that's a whole other stupid-ass scenario. But you bring him in at Starcade 97 as a babyface, cutting that promo on Hogan, and you take that all the way to Starcade 98, or, I mean, you could, you don't even have to do Starcade 98, you could just run it to Bash at the Beach or something, you know, just give them a little six-month thing where they kind of dance around each other, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Let Brett get some wins over some other heels. Have him work his way through the NWO a little bit. Brett beats Hogan for the title, and then now switch Brett heel, and he can. He not only was he your best babyface, now he can be your best heel because he's proven before he can be the best babyface and the best heel. So yeah, definitely Brett. Like I said, I ran like, Brett. Like, oh, like oh, remember when they brought Savage in? Mm-hmm. And Savage is like, I'm either gonna shake his hand or slap him in the face. Yeah, and he shook his hand. Bring Brett in and be like, Hey, I'm either gonna, I'm either gonna shake his hand or I'm gonna slap him in the face. <laughs> and and Hogan shows up face. and just slap him in the fucking face. <laughs> we think about that, Hogan. <laughs> yeah, and 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 not even go into it thinking, Oh, we're gonna make Brett the face. 
let him slap him or shake his hand. Let him slap him. Mm-hmm. And then gauge what you do after that off the crowd response. Like if he slaps him and they boo, like, ah, fuck, we got to turn Hogan. Right. <laughs> or if, they, if he slaps him and they cheer, be like, ah, Brett's a baby face. <laughs> yeah, and you could turn Hogan at that point because everybody knows Starcade 97 is where the NWO jumped the shark. Yeah. You know, I mean, at that point, move on to something else from the NWO. But, yeah, definitely I had Brett ranked. Brett jumping to WCW ranked as number one on my list of worst jumps in wrestling history. Now, this one I I have next is is a little bit deeper. I got to go into a little bit deeper reason for why I have it here. And it's it's Ric Flair jumping back to WCW in 1993. And here's here's my reasoning. I know that he went back and and he had, you know, he had he had the feud with Vader and it resulted in a great story at Starcade that year and he he went back and he had good matches. I guess I guess my thing about him jumping back to WCW in 93 was that it led to first of all the man himself being physically mentally and emotionally broken over the years. And it also led to the fact that once Hogan comes along into WCW, Flair gets turned into essentially Hogan's heel flunky whenever they need Hogan to have a heel flunky. A guy that's going to come out, act big and bad, be the quote-unquote greatest, but, well, we're never really going to let him get put over Hogan. Uh if any of what I'm saying makes sense, like, I think that, yeah, sure. You don't know what would have happened if he'd have remained in the WWF because they were kind of moving on. But if he could have moved into a managerial role or something like that, it could have been different for his career. Like I said, I mean, I just think him jumping back to WCW led to so many bad things for him over the next decade. You yeah. know, um, I don't know if you agree with me, disagree with me. I agree, and um, when he went back, like I said, that first initial year before Hogan came around was pretty good. You know, he had the run with Vader and all that jazz. I just think he was. It, it's it's almost like how we talked about with Jake. Honestly, he was hopeful. <laughs> like like he was hopeful, and, but but even even different than Jake was he still got his fucking money. Yeah, but it was a promoter that just was like, "Fuck you! I don't like you." Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 it was almost it's it's not almost it's exactly like what I was saying with Hogan with Brett that Hogan was probably in Bischoff's ears saying, "Oh, Flair's this, Flair's that. He's old, um, whatever." You know what I mean? Like Hogan whether he would have admitted it or not, probably had a lot to do with Flair getting pushed out. Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no yeah. doubt. I mean, when Brutus Beefcake comes up to Rick fucking Flair and says the big man thinks you're selling too much for Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Suck a dick. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, Aaron, what you got next? Um, I have... Um, the Road Warriors from 
NWA to WWF. Yeah. The WWF didn't first of all they never they never used the Road Warriors correctly. Probably the best they ever used the Road Warriors was from the time they came in, in at the at Raw in ninety seven until WrestleMania thirteen of the street fight. That was it. That was that was the only time they ever used the Road Warriors like the Road Warriors should be used. That yeah. WWF run when they jumped from WCW, they should have been the champs within a couple of months. It took they should have been the, the champions the minute they walked in. They should have just annihilated. Yeah, annihilated. Annihilated whoever. whoever had it and just went with it. But they polished them up. They um, fucking took Paul away from them. And they just, they fucked him up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. A, I don't know a cleaner way to say it. They <laughs> fucked him up. Like they, the road warriors shouldn't have, I don't like the minute they came out with like the red polished, clean looking pads. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it, it was, it was, uh, they watered them down and, they essentially the, the WWF sucked the soul out of the gimmick. You know, they, yeah. they, they made them, oh God, they, they, they did the same thing to Vader and I don't have Vader going to the WWF on the, he's, on my he, list. he's full disclosure. I'll scratch him off and use my one in the chamber. Vader was <laughs> the next, was the last it's, one on my list. They did the same thing to Vader that they did to the road warriors. They took the mystique, and like you said, it, it in so many words dusted off the mystique, and then tried to present this this character with mystique as just another cog in the machine. You know, yeah. they were just another tag team in the WWF array of tag teams, and it makes me nauseous every time I see him with the like like I said, oh, they took Paul away from him, then they gave Paul to him. And they bring them out, and they're like, we've been a runaway train. Look who's driving the train. And then you're like, oh, fuck, maybe they're going to yeah. be cool again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're going to be cool again. And then they find a fucking puppet. Yeah, and that is, by the way, Rocco is in the WCW, we can't wrestle, sorry, Hall of Fame, Hall of Shame. So, yeah, yeah it, for it, the record. It, they, they just, they completely nutted Animal and Hawk. None of them. And it's just a fucking travesty. I mean, honestly, it's, and and like you said, like in like 96, 97, they were somewhat better, but it it still wasn't great. And then fucking fucking Vince Rousseau got a hold of them and it was fucking done. DX shaved their heads and they went with fucking the whole Hulk was a fucking junkie and just it, it was just bad. Mm-hmm. The NWA, Dusty Rhodes, Jim Crockett, they 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 knew exactly what they had with the fucking Road Warriors. Just let them go out there and beat the fuck out of a couple mm-hmm. jobbers and let the like let Hawk just flex his neck and break the fucking thing off. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, let him break the dog collar off his neck. 
and just let them beat the shit out of people, and they didn't let them do it. And and Hawk and Animal were great. I shouldn't say great. I don't understand. Like they they could have great matches, but let that be something that builds. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like let that be like they're kicking the shit out of these fucking jobbers, and like then somebody attacks them, and then they they have a reason to have like this twenty five minute match or whatever. But Vince and they should pretty- only have they should they should only have those twenty five minute matches with people of their caliber. Or that look like a threat to them, i.e., at that time, Demolition, or the Nasty Boys, or the Heart Foundation. And that's it. You know? Other than that, no. And to not to See, forgive... I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom, but the Road Warriors shouldn't be having competitive matches with the Beverly Brothers. Right. Yeah. And... Not to take any blame from the WWF because they deserve all the blame you're giving them here. <clears throat> but I'll even say the Road Warriors after 1990, because even when they went to WCW in 96 for that brief run, they were just another team in the mix with Harlem Heat and the Steiners and et cetera, et cetera, you know. So after that initial run with Crockett Promotions, and initially, I guess initially the AWA and then Crockett Promotions, everybody dropped the ball with the Road Warriors. Yeah. For sure. So I have a couple left. How many do you have left? Uh, I had to scratch Vader off, so I only have my uh, my chamber one. Okay. I have three more, actually. I'll run through one here real quick. Butch Reed to the WWF in 1986. WWF never used Butch Reed properly to his, and rest in peace, Butch Reed. But WWF, it was, I don't know if they didn't know what to do with him, or he just got caught up in the mix, or what it was. But Butch Reed has so, had so much more potential than he did when he got to the WWF. And I know, you know, again, they were making big money there. He took a big money contract, good for him. He made He made a good living. But Butch Reed, for some reason to me, always seemed very misused in that WWF run. Yeah, and and this will be the maybe the only one that I can say that might have been to his own detriment. That I mean, I'm a Butch Reed fan, but I think Butch Reed is almost like a um, Barry Windham or Bruiser Brody, where he's just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm a, I'm bouncing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and, and I, and I, and I commend that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, eh, or a Dan Spivey. Somebody's just like, oh, I'll drop this guy off. They're like, hey, where are you going? I'm like, fuck it. Tell him I'm, I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. He, unreliable. I wouldn't even say unreliable, just opinionated and, Steadfast, a pain in the ass. Let's look at it from the promoter's standpoint. What a pain in the ass! <laughs> this guy's a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> always bitching, always moaning. <laughs> and, and and I have people like that, and I'm a businessman. I have people like that that I love, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, yeah, this guy's a fucking pain in the ass. 
but the minute he walks out of the office, I'm just like, you know what? I still kind of like that guy, <laughs> you know, because he he stuck to he 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 stood he, he stuck to his guns <laughs> and looked at me and said, "Fuck you, I'm not doing that." And I said, yeah, "Well, fuck you can fucking, fucking walk out the door then." Yeah, you know, then it, like ass. as they walk out the door, I'm like, you know what? I respect that. I respect yeah. that. <laughs> I got somebody to replace you. But I respect that, <laughs> and, and and I think that's what Butch was. I'll do one, then you. I'll do one, then you do your last one, then I'll do my last one. All right. The Steiner Brothers to the WWF. That almost made my list. It almost made my list. <laughs> it started out promising. It started out promising. They, you know, they had the initial come. They came in. They had a feud with the Beverly brothers, which resulted in some really good matches and the feud with the head shrinkers that resolved resulted in a hell of a tag team match at WrestleMania nine. Yeah, the, the Steiners never had a bad match run the entire time they were in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Like their feud with, with the Beverly's was great. Their feud with the shrinkers was great. Their feud with the fucking Quebecers was great. I think that I would put them in the class that I put Lex Luger in. They were one of those acts, one of those talents that were just better in WCW. End of story. The next one I have that I'll do last is one that I think is better in WWF. But I think that was what it was. They were a WCW talent floating around in the WWF. You know what I mean? And I mean, they got a title run and all that jazz, but it just did not amount to much. And and it's not the same but it kind of is. I think it was the, the fact that the WWF cleaned him up. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Like, like this, this might sound like silly. I, don't, I shouldn't say silly. This might seem like um, insignificant in the scheme of things, and, and you might not get it. But in WCW, Scott had a mullet, but it was slick, you know, and he looked like a fucking badass, mm-hmm. and he was built. And then he got to the WWF, and all of a sudden, his like mullet was like poofy, <laughs> and was, like fucking trying to, trying to be a little prettier, like feathered and shit. It's like why why Scott's mullet poofy now, and and <laughs> and, and why does why why is Rick not like why is he not like mm-hmm. Like wanting to kick your fucking ass, and and this is this isn't a knock on Rick, but I see what you're saying. What I was going to say is, why doesn't Rick seem stupid anymore? And I'm not saying stupid like like I'm a fucking idiot or stupid. I'm saying why doesn't Rick seem like he's you're going to punch him twice and he's not going to fall down. Yeah, yeah. Why doesn't he seem like a rock-headed simpleton? And this guy's too, <laughs> this guy's too stupid to fall. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, they just... That's the it, guy I want to drink a beer with. I want to drink a beer with the guy <laughs> that gets hit four times and doesn't fall down. And then just looks at you and goes... <laughs> hit me again. Yeah. And this time put some stank on it. Yeah. And my brother doesn't have a poofy mullet. He's just a badass. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, like I said, I would classify the Steiners going to the WWF just like Luger going to the WWF. They just they they that was a talent that was better off in WCW, and you know it is what it is. Your next one and last one, and it's gonna kind of shit on what you said earlier. I don't mean to do that, and it's gonna be a completely out of the box choice. And it is Ric Flair jumping to the WWF from the NWA. I totally disagree with that one. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> and I would disagree with myself if they wouldn't have handled it how they handled it. See, I think, and uh, go ahead, go ahead and say what you have to say first, and then I'll go. Why I think it was mishandled wasn't how he initially came in, because how he initially came in was fucking fantastic. I'm the real world champion. I have this belt. I'm the best there is. Nobody's better than me. I'm fucking God. Okay? It's how he came in. And he started feuding with Piper, which was good, because give the guy a guy that he's comfortable with and what people understand. And they've seen that and this, that, and the other thing. And now he wins the belt and he, I'm the champ. I'm the champ. There was never a fucking payoff for ever. There was not. And he had great, he had a great feud with Randy said, and he had a great, but there was never the fucking payoff. WrestleMania eight is a colossal shit-the-bed moment, in my opinion. See, I completely disagree with that, and here's why I say that. All right, the greatest... There have been fantastic matches in the history of the W... And I'm just talking WWF. We're taking WCW, NWA. We're taking UWF. We're taking every other promotion out out of the picture. There have been fantastic matches for the WWF title. There have been fantastic WWF champions. There's never been a better WWF championship victory or a more solidified WWF championship victory than the victory they gave Flair at that Royal Rumble. They said, this is a guy, this is a, I know this is a guy and I'm getting to the WrestleMania eight thing though. This is a guy that is from outside our company, which WWF never acknowledged. Then this is a guy that's been successful everywhere, but here. All right, so we're going to put him in the ring with 29 (laughs) of our best, and he beat them all. And the reason I say WrestleMania 8 is not a failure is because I personally think that Hogan and Flair at WrestleMania 8 as a match would have shit the bed. Whereas Flair and Savage, even though the reason it happened was political wound up making the the event so much better because it was such a good match and such a good feud. And I think Savage and Flair over time is proven that they had, whether, whether Savage was on the level of Flair and Hogan or not, Savage and Flair had better chemistry than Flair. Well, and Hogan. He did, but, but so much better. <laughs> I love WrestleMania. The, the, eight. the <sighs> The matches are great. WrestleMania was too. How, how do how do I want to say it? Like WrestleMania eight as a as a show 
okay. WrestleMania 8 as a show is great. And Flair and Savage is great. But the fact that Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan were in the WWF at the same time and never had that pay-per-view payoff Hmm. is a fucking mistake. And you can't tell me it wasn't because then WCW did it. And it was fucking awful. And it was, it, it, it was, it was awful. It was was awful. Okay. It was awful, but that bash at the beach pay-per-view sold a shit out of pay-per-views. You know I mean? Like, it had a shitload of buy rate and people talked about it and they were like, holy fuck. Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair are fighting each other. Imagine if Vince McMahon would have fucking did it. You know what I mean? I hate and, and, and I don't I don't know I don't know normally because it's not just not my my character or whatever. I don't normally go with like chauvinistic sexual. <laughs> I'm getting to a point. Chauvinistic sexual um, comparisons on this show or anything. Cause it, it just doesn't fit. But I think in this case it fits. Here's how I put Hogan and flair in the eighties and nineties to culminate into a match between Hogan and flair, Hogan and flair in the eighties was the hottest woman you've ever seen in your life. I would do anything to get into bed with this woman. This woman is beautiful. She's the sexiest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And then she finally wants to make love to you, and it's the worst sex you've ever had <laughs> in your entire life. And that's that's Hogan and Flair. It was the dream of everybody in the 80s and early 90s to see Hogan versus Flair. And when it actually happened, it fucking sucked. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, it sucked. But at least you got it. <laughs> <laughs> at least you can say you hit it. Woo! Yeah. I hit it. It sucked though. God, it was it was just it was like the biggest hype in wrestling history and the biggest letdown. But what I'm saying is, it was the biggest <laughs> letdown because it was in Eric Bischoff's WCW. If Vince McMahon would have just fucking did it, it would have been great. Because but he did, he did do, he did do it in Oakland, and people booted out of the building. They hated it, and that's why he didn't. That's one of the reasons they didn't do it at WrestleMania. They ran, they ran that match a couple of times. I'm not trying to get. We're getting deep in the weeds here. We're like debating, but they ran that match a couple of times, and it turned out to be a fucking dud. And nobody gave a shit because they watched it, and it was just Hogan. Doing Hogan and Flair doing Flair, and it again, it was like a popcorn fart. It just it, it didn't lead it. It's the biggest thing to ever get built in our minds, and it was one of the biggest letdowns. Okay, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan suck. What's your <laughs> next match? <laughs> all right, so my last one. The two greatest wrestlers of all time are fucking garbage, and nobody <laughs> would ever made any money just, with them at all. They're just they're just garbage. What's together? next? What's next? <laughs> this is gonna be a this is gonna be a letdown compared to what we just did. <laughs> My last one was actually just one I had in the chamber in case we had more than two co-hosts on the show this week, and it is 
the opposite of the Steiners to the WWF, to me, this is kind of my like um, out of the box, out of left field one that somebody would be like, why the fuck did you even think about that? Jacques Rougeau and Carl Pierre Houlette. As the Quebecers in the WWF, when they went to WCW, those guys really were... Most of those Canadian guys, actually, but these two, just in specific, they worked so much better in the WWF than they did in WCW. Yeah. You know, I just... <laughs> I'm glad you agree. <laughs> just like, I, I I don't know. Just In WCW, they just... I don't know. The WWF... They were the flying French Canadians. Yeah, well, that, and they just... I mean, the only thing that made them better in WCW was the fact that Colonel Robert Parker was their manager, and he had that stupid hat. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> like the expedition hat or whatever. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. good shit. You, anytime, you put, anytime you put Rob Parker with somebody, it makes it better. I don't know why, but Texans and Canadians are always better in the WWF. Figure that one out. But anyway. Yeah, but still, anytime you put Robert Parker with somebody, it makes it better. It makes it better, but, yes. But no, Do you see the, what I'm saying, though? you see what I'm saying, yeah, though? Yeah, Vince McMahon knew exactly what to do with Jacques. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole time he was there. Yeah. People can say what they want about gimmicks and wrestling, that Mountie gimmick was fantastic. It was fantastic. I and am the mount. He was so yeah, annoying. And, and, so and Bret Hart is one of my favorite people in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that I've ever met him, I'm just talking like, you know, listening to him tell stories yeah. and, and, uh, and, 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 and critique people and all uh, this, this, and this. And, I love Bret Hart, but Bret used to talk like he, he talked shit about Jacques and Raymond because they sold silly and they were they were goofy and everything like that. But I fucking love the Rougeaus and Carlette is fucking fan. And Bret never talked shit about Pierre. You know, he's yeah. just talking, he, he said Pierre was fantastic in the ring. But he used to talk about fucking hate, hate and working with the Rougeaus because they, they bumped silly and did this and this. Fucking Jacques is fan. Like, I, I love, like, this is a non visual thing, but like when he would do, like, shake his arms yeah, like that. Shake and shit his like arms. That. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. The Rougeaus are fun as fuck. And I just, I'll give you that. Um, I mean, I don't know if and, he would ever, I don't know if they would ever sold out Hogan. Right. (laughs) All right. And on that sarcastic note, (laughs) we will wrap up this edition of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. But I do want to remind each and every one of you, if you are not a member of our Facebook group and you're listening to the show right now, what are you waiting for? Join it. And if you like collectibles, if you like action figures, autographs, et cetera, et cetera, our other co-host, Archie Mitchell, has a group, World Championship Customs. Check them out as well. And join that group. It doesn't cost you nothing to join. Go in, take a look around. They do a great job in World Championship Customs. And, of course, we would be remiss. And 
called a couple of Jabrones by Chad Austin, if we did not mention that if you are not listening to the Reliving the Extreme podcast, you should be doing that as well. If not, you're a fucking idiot. Listen to it. <laughs> we are reliving ECW from the beginning to the end of ECW with Chad Austin. This week's episode, we review Ultra Clash 1993. We have finally gotten past, or we're getting past, the rough early days of ECW and getting into what we would possibly, what we would eventually know to be ECW. And it's been a fun journey with Chad so far. And I want to tell you guys, it hasn't even gotten started yet because now we're getting into the point where Chad was actually there. Chad was working in the company. He will have stories for us from behind the scenes. Uh, Chad, here's this wrestler on the show. What what are you, some of your interactions with him, et cetera, et cetera. I'm fucking excited as shit about that to hear those stories, but because to hear Chad tell stories like that, as you've heard on this show in some of his interviews, he's done with us. I mean, you give Chad a name and then 20 minutes later I get to talk and it's great. It's, it's a fantastic experience and I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. That yep being said, thank you for joining us everyone for another edition of the, we can't wrestle podcast and we'll see you next week. I think next week we are looking at doing some what ifs next week and we are also going to be talking about Ricky Morton versus Terry Taylor from Clash of the Champions 14 